Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs, your hobby content alternative. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. You already know that. It's Friday. And you know what that means. It's the hobby hustle. And I got my man Kaushik at the Iron Cheek on Instagram. We caught each other for a brief moment in Dallas and said, you know what? Let's record a pod on this. I know we have a lot to talk about. He's a very insightful and thoughtful collector with some really cool cards. If you like what I'm doing, hit that subscribe button. Leave me a review. If you're not signed up for the weekly rip already, what are you doing? The link is in the show notes and in my bio on IG. Let's not let this conversation hang or linger any further. Let's kick it to it. One, two, three, boom. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. I am excited for this one. We had a brief interaction in Dallas. We were just talking before we jumped on, but Dallas was crazy. We've talked about this. I had a moment where we ran into each other, um, but I'm excited. We got to connect, bringing them on the podcast. I'm here with Kaushik at the Iron Sheik on Instagram. You probably all know him. I'm excited for this conversation. There's a lot of topics I want to get into before we jump in. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. It feels like Dallas was a long time ago, but it was really just two weeks ago. I know, man. I, I think every, it's because everyone's prepping for the national at this point after the news from last week. It's like Dallas is in the rear view. Um, but I think it was it was overwhelming for me. And I don't know if it was an element of jumping back in first big event post covid people everywhere. I haven't been around that many people in a while, but I had a blast, but it was certainly overwhelming. I have no idea what to expect with the, with the national, but I would imagine it's that turned up to like 20 or 25. Well, so I think there was a difference for me. So I've been to a couple of nationals, national. Okay. That's what we should, we should make sure that people realize it's not a plural because it's actually nationals. Um, I think when I went to the other ones, I didn't know how many people I know now. And I think social media has total, like, it's really responsible for this. I would say in the last national I attended, I probably knew 50 to 100 people. I think this time when I go, minimum 250. Like, at least we've had some conversation. I've even seen them in person, had a conversation with them, maybe even more. I'm discounting probably a, a lot of people. but. The community aspect has gotten so much stronger since even 2019 national. And this time around, like, so just a pretense here. I used to have different strategies before I go to a big show. Um, and one of my strategies, it's, I don't think other people are doing this. This is just me. I would actually like to close a big deal before I get to the show. So I don't go berserk at the show. So uh, I don't have the card here with me, but I picked up a 03 Finest Refractor LeBron PSA 7 literally five days before the Dallas show. And I was telling my buddies, I'm doing this on purpose because if I don't close this, then I'm just going to spend more than I want to spend when I get there. I love that so much. And 
I think that's good. And let's get into that because mm-hmm. I think, I think show prep is an important topic. So we'll make sure we dive into that, but let's maybe start here. I think this is back to community building, back to building relationships. It's funny. You were like the first person. Actually, I saw Shay first and then you at the show. But when we were in Dallas, like I walk in the show, I immediately see some people I know. We connect really quick. And then, you know, it's amazing what being at a show is. You spend time messaging with people on Instagram and then you get a chance to meet them in real life. And everyone's pretty much the same and pretty, pretty normal. I think my first before I had connected with you, I think I saw a video of you and maybe this would be a good place to start. Um, and I think it was at the the deal that you, when you got your limited logos, LeBron, um, did you get that deal in at the at, in Kentucky at Kentucky, Jimmy's Kentucky Roadshow? Is that how you got the deal done? Yeah. So what happened? A little backstory on this card. When my it was one of my best friends in the hobby that picked it up, and he picked it up early in 2020. And when he showed it to me, I was in disbelief because. I was like, wow, this is an amazing card. Um, it was actually raw when when they got it, uh, when <laughs> and his brother got it. And uh, it, it goes by uh, Instagram handle High Class Hoops. It's Lane and Warren Perry. They're some of the first two people that I've connected with in the hobby for years. So uh, I'm originally from Kentucky. So we've been friends for many, many years. And truthfully, when, I, when they showed me the card, uh, Brett, I honestly never thought it would be something I could achieve. So I was like very in awe. Um, I think it's super important. And this is how you know the difference that when your friends get a card that you wish you had, that you're happy for them. It is very important for that. And if you're not happy for them, uh, sometimes it shows. And then those people are probably not people that you really want to be friends with. It's really important to support it. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I would love to have that card. but that I know Lane is a very strong LeBron believer. So when he got that card, I was extremely happy for him because he'd probably been chasing it for a very long time. So opportunity presents itself, price was going up. And uh, truthfully, I think a lot of success for me happened around soccer last year. And um, I still have a couple, a few soccer giant cards because I believe in the industry, but that success of soccer kind of allowed me to have an opportunity to maybe purchase it off of my good friend. I will say this. uh, I think when you have a card of that size and it was much smaller in size when I got it, which was November of last year. So not long ago, the fact that we knew each other, the fact that we've done multi-thousand dollar deals together and the fact that we have so many friends in common it made the deal so much easier. It was to the point where I probably gave more because one, it was, you know, a very premier card, but also to the point where I knew that how many more chances would I have to attain something like this? And, you know, Brett, it was a trade and a cash deal. So it was both involved. And uh, I think you start thinking about Okay, well, how would this transaction be if I if Lane wasn't my friend? And I start thinking, okay, well, I would have to probably do a fire sale. And you would see it on Instagram. And I would I would sell things uh until I got to a certain point. 
And I would, I probably would have had to give away even more cards to get to the cash value. So when all those things were going on in my mind, I kept on saying, well, what do you want to do with this card? You know, what, what are we getting, are we getting this for, you know, the market keeps going up. Are you going to have to make a strategic decision? You know, truthfully, it's one of those things where I was like, I just let me get it in my hand and then I'll worry about all that later. Because my whole thinking on this card was I maybe have one or two shots at this price point, given what I have in my collection to get it. Maybe because of our friendship, we were able to work a deal. Even um, like that deal was already like booked for a month, but we wanted to do it in person. I said, don't you dare ship it. I'll freak out if you ship it. I know you would freak out if you shipped it. We will find a way. And I'm from like Kentucky, Tennessee. And so I was like, I'm just going to come up. We're going to do it in Jimmy's shop. And uh, we'll, it's a good, good way for us to like, you know, show that new shop off. And also I wanted to meet him more in person. I've only met him in passing once before. And uh, it was a great environment. And he's got like a bunch of memorabilia in his shop also as well to go along with cards. But that whole relationship and timing and just knowing that that card was even available is a lot of luck and a lot of, a lot of luck combined with being like opportunistic. Like I was in a position and he was one of my good friends. Like I was not going to get another opportunity like that. So I decided... I'm going to push all the eggs into the basket. Uh, I'm going to go for it. There's only one card, Brett, I had to sell. And I sold too early because it has pretty much tripled in three months after that, which was a Tom Brady Bowman Chrome Refractor PSA 9. I actually sent it to PWCC and I'm actually the auction that ended at 23000 And um story on that card is I got it from MC sports cards a year and a half ago. And I was like, this is a long-term card. He's the goat. There's only 60 PSA nine and PSA 10 of those cards. So I was like, it's a staple. And I was like, I need to get this money. This has got to go. And I didn't think Tom was going to win the Super Bowl, but I don't know why the hell I'm discounting Tom. He's always, he always comes through somehow. He always does come through. And what a hell of a story. I think there's so many factors with you got, got hot and made some cash on soccer cards. You had a personal relationship, um, right timing. All of these things came into play for you to acquire that card. And I think a lot of people, unless they're in the game of learning from other people who are doing what you're doing, look at a card like that LeBron limited logos and say, you know what? Like that card's unattainable to me. Like the cards that are on the front, 10 pages that go on the golden auctions are unattainable to me, but they're really not. If you keep and you're consistent and you can continue to keep activity and things moving in the hobby. So like, I don't know what, what is your feedback? Like, and to people who might think that card, certain cards are too big. Like what, if you had to boil it down to like maybe one or two things for you, you, I know there's the relationship and timing and everything else, but like, what led you to that card and what is the main reason why you think you have it right now? Just one small point here, and this will maybe help tell this story. So in 2016, I left the national, but I was only looking for one card and I could not find that card. 
I ended up getting that card. It was a LeBron James Ultimate Collection BGS 9510. I'm not kidding. I think I traded $6,000 and $2,000 cash for that card. That card is very expensive today. So one year later, almost to the day, somebody offered me double cash for that card in Atlanta. And I said, okay, because I was just starting my new job. I was looking for some cash. I was looking to pay off debt. Like this would have almost cleared my books. And I said, okay, it's time. Maybe I'll come back and get it another time. That was 2017 September. Okay, that card sold for under 15K for that card. It goes for 150 plus now, guaranteed. Okay, that's fine. You have to have this mindset. If you don't have this mindset, you are going to be thinking in the past the entire time. I needed it at that time. It was important. I don't regret it. But I will say, I always remember it. So now to beat that card, Brett, is one of the most iconic rookie cards that he has. There wasn't a hand. There's only maybe like 10 different types of rookie cards that maybe could even beat that, if that at all. So in the back of my mind, I actually avoided getting elite LeBron James cards from 2017 September almost all the way to the end of 2019 because I could not eclipse the one card that I had and I didn't want to get something less than that card. And my good friend, Ethan Knox, he also goes by Ethan Cards 14 He's the one that brought me into the hobby. He said, you are the biggest LeBron guy that I know. I know I'm not the biggest of all, but I'm a pretty big one. How do you not have one LeBron autograph like in your collection? Like you don't have one. And you're the biggest LeBron, uh, biggest LeBron guy that I know. And so it really got me thinking. And I made a lot of moves in the first quarter of 2020 that really kind of set me up for the rest of it. So here's to go back to your question, why this was important. Having that card go away made me want to have another card like that, that now I just want to latch onto. It was, it's not a mistake because I had to do it, but I didn't like doing it. So in the same respect, I've probably been asked if I want to sell my limited logos over a hundred times since I've gotten it and it's not available. And it's because of that one memory that I have that if I go and give this away, I will never probably go back out there and get it. I probably could, like you said, can you consolidate? Can you get it? But but this story almost means so much to me now that I'm, I'm kind of willing to ride or die with it. Distance makes a heart grow fonder. That's for sure. Uh, that's a great story. And I'm, I'm glad you, we started there. Um, I think that's a good place because I think a lot of people, including myself, like we were collectors, we have a hard time letting go of cards. Um, and I think stories like that are encouraging and you have a, as long as you have a purpose or intention behind what you're doing and how you're operating, like, and you're staying consistent, like, stuff will end up working itself out. Um, Maybe we go to the current state. I know this is a topic we wanted to jump into, the current state of the market. I think, you know, there's, we're in a narrative-driven hobby. There's stories and different views and perspectives from everyone. Some say the, you know, sky is falling. Others say, you know, this is a tremendous opportunity. Um, there's a lot of excitement. And all I know is that 
being in the room in Dallas convention hall, the dealers might not all have been pleased with how everything was going. I think that's general, but I saw a lot of excitement, a lot of activity in it. When I left Dallas, it was like, man, like, yeah, the market might be down right now, but there is a lot of energy and passion around the hobby that we love. So maybe like, how do you contextualize like the current market and just what are your, your overall thoughts on what's going on right now? So a couple of things, um, and this is just for different levels of collectors because we all started from somewhere and you know, it took me many years to get to this point. Uh, a lot of crazy stories of getting cards that are $10 that are now $5,000. Uh, we all have many of those. One of the things that I want, that I like to do when I go into a big card show like this, kind of like the prep that you were talking about, I do this before every national, et cetera. I actually have a few friends that I trust and I know that they love to trade. So what I will do is I will strategically go walk by their tables and I will survey what they kind of have. I'll even take some photos of what they kind of have. Then I want to come back to their booth somewhere near the mid to the end of the show. And then I may take some photos again. And I actually would like to see which cards didn't move and which cards moved. Uh, sometimes, you know, dealers just put cards away because maybe they don't want it available. Um, but we were almost in a market where people were trying to make more deals because there weren't as many deals as January and March. So I don't think there was as much of that going on. So I like to survey what is actually moving, what's not moving. And then also kind of like, I came in with some assumptions and I wrote those down and I wanted to see whether those assumptions kind of lived up to what was happening and what I was seeing. And that like going to a show was more educational to me than seeing an eBay price ticker for months. Understanding if some, when you text someone and you want a deal, they have time to think about it. They have time to tell the world about it. Like this guy wants this card for $500. What do you think? What do you think? But when I see a, someone in person and my strategy is a little different, I don't care if I ruin it. It's who it is. I almost try to go straight to the point. Like this is it. I'm ready to go for it. I'm going to give you a fair offer. If you don't want to take it, that's fine. But I, I that's that's just my strategy because it sounds, this doesn't sound good, but I don't want you to think. That's my whole thing. I want, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to give you a fair offer. You can give me a fair offer back. I don't want you to think I'm going to keep haggling you, keep haggling you. But, you know, other people have that strategy as well. So in relation to what you're saying about the current state of the market, I would say I asked many people there, show, tell me the differences between the January and March Dallas show and this one. I wasn't there. This is the first one I went to. They said there was a little bit more, a lot more cash maybe in some of those other shows. And there was also a lot more, you know, buying from maybe even the dealer side as well. So couple of things that I noticed, and I'm not sure, this is, I would think the same way if I was a dealer. Some of these iconic cards, right? The, some of the sticker tags were higher than the current market price because cards had gone down. So people will say, oh, well, of course that dealer didn't make the sale on that card because it was way over sticker price. 
I view a little differently. They are probably thinking eventually this iconic card will return. And I'm okay sitting on the iconic card at this premium. And then I will go ahead and take the sale there. If you're, and then they have other cards that are less iconic that they will probably be more highly negotiable with. So it just depends on the state of the dealer, whether they need the cash, they don't need the cash, but I kind of understand if they wanted to keep certain iconic cards close to their sticker value, because they are probably thinking this is not the right time to sell a card like that. It will bounce back. Um, and so what, I think what we're seeing right now, Brett, is we're seeing a cyclical change, but a more severe cyclical change than we've seen ever before because cards have been much more volatile in the last two years than maybe the history of at least the social media aspect of cards. So the perspective is different. Did you buy at the peak in 2021? Or did you buy when the first pandemic kind of like hit? Cards were down 50, 40, 50% in March of last year. I will tell you this. I bought more in March of last year than maybe I bought all of 2018 and 19 combined. I just went for it. And I just kept buying. Same way, I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm buying to that level now because the price is even way higher than pandemic moment. Uh, but I would say I'm actually buying quite a bit right now. That's a, it's really good perspective. I think that's, I, I agree with everything that you just said. And I think the pandemic market is a lot different than maybe what is a normal market. I think, I mean, you can even look at like the current playoffs and players that are playing, like a lot of accolades have been built into those prices, like Giannis's prices a year ago, right? Like the, his market has dipped a little bit, right? And it's still like his prices are probably still built for a championship or two into them. So I think it just varies uh, across the board. And I think what you're saying is, there's a little bit of a correction happening now. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's a really good thing because I think we as a hobby need, need some leveling off just so not in this mindset that not everything is always going up because that's not sustainable, not just in sports cards, but any other market. Yeah. And okay. In lieu of this, I don't know if anyone will have has brought this up. This is going to be, this is my perspective of what I've seen. So you know how they say the phrase is like mm, almost all, like some people say any attention is good attention to the hobby, right? So that's a double-edged sword there. But I'll talk about the pro and then I'll talk about the con that may have come with it. So the pro is we have had a lot of social media creators. We've had a lot of visibility to even Facebook groups right? And people saying what's sold, what's not sold, etc. Creating uh, a narrative and a storyline on what it deems to be a very successful card because of the price movement. So we're at a very interesting time because in the next six months, this, first of all, there's more buyers in this market than there was in 2019. I stand by that. There's going to have to be a re-education, I believe, in the sports card community. So what I mean by that is these content creators 
And they have been so good for the hobby because they have provided us with data. They provided uh, people that weren't even looking into sports cards into the market. Very important. It makes a lot of sense. But you also probably are looking at cards that can be tracked in price from those people as well. So you are looking for cards that have higher pop, even if it's like over 250 pop of like a PSA 10, you're looking at those kind of cards. You're looking at the price movement on those cards. And then you're assessing, right, that this is what you're doing because of the price movement. So I draw that narrative to something I can't even control in my stock portfolio, which is hedge funds control 90% of a lot of the blue chip stocks. And if a hedge fund wants to get out of a blue chip stock, there's really nothing I can do about it because iCaushik only has 100 shares of et cetera. So in the same way, I understand why people did it, right? I even bought some base. I flipped some base, bought some silvers. I flipped some silver. We, I think a lot of us did it. And I'm not saying that that wasn't a good strategy, but I want to look at it a little differently. You look at the rare cards of some of these goats, okay? You don't have to invest in goats. I'm not saying to do that. Let's just say if Luca is going to be your goat, which a lot of people think Luca is going to be a goat. And I'm actually, he's phenomenal. I did not believe in him rookie year, believe in him now. <laughs> if you are looking to purchase a Luca card, of course you would want it to be PSA 10 because that's the mantra right now. That's the thing. But if you're looking long-term and you know this is the difference between if you want to flip immediately or you want to have a little bit of both. Why not look at a numbered prism card that's a PSA 9? You know, I, I did a little research. There's only like 2,000 numbered Lucas in prism. That's it. Do you think everybody graded those 2,000? I doubt it. Some people are like, oh, it's off centered. I don't want it, right? But a PSA 9 of a Luca numbered prism five years from now, what do you think that's going to be? Don't you think it's going to be kind of a pretty big card? Even if it's a PSA 9. I think it could be a quite a magnificent card. You know, a 149, a purple ice or whatever. Give me that. Give me that all day. And I think it's it's because, uh, you know, I, to me, just you look at the Luca base prism card. And when I, when I, when I got out of it, I didn't even think about it. I was like, I'm getting out of this because at some point it's bound to go down. Because you just look at the pop report and it's like every week up, 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 up. And so I think the base market, I think I heard Shay say this actually, that it is a market that we need in the hobby because it's an entry point. And I think it is, it, is a, it is a good thing to have people trading and buying and selling base cards. But mm -hmm. I think if you want to continue to elevate and move up, you've got to get out of that. And a good place to go is, the the number rare cards the parallels because I'm with you man I don't I don't care what the grade is like give me anything Luca rookie serial number from Prism because that card is going to if he continues on this trajectory which I think everybody in the hobby is a believer at this point based on how this kid is playing basketball that that those cards will continue to three x four x five x but you've got to be patient right it's got to be over a long period it's a long game and i just think a lot of people maybe don't have that like long-term outlook and mindset that everyone's kind of looking for that quick flip well 
Okay. It's, and I get it. You're putting your own money in. So you, you want to get some money out and that makes a lot of sense. But Brett, five X, are you kidding me? I would kill for five X in any market, right? Which is why we did what we did last year. And that's why this market exploded. Right. But at this point in time, and it's a mindset. I think it's a mindset. It, it, I think a little bit of it comes from me witnessing the 08 crash and crisis and things of that nature. Like if I can double up in a year, I can't do that in my stock portfolio. I wish I could. Maybe if I actively manage it and I didn't have my nine to five, maybe I could, but I can't do it. And so I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm going to take the dub. Like this is the dub. Like I, it, it's okay. And and I think this is this is really where it needs to go. There is a place for base, and I think it needs to exist. But I do not think base needs to be graded at a 15x multiplier. Why not just grade all the serial numbered? You know, if we graded all serial numbered Lucas, we would probably have way more than prism based Lucas. But people don't want to do that because they thought that was liquid. You could trade it, and I get it. But if you were trading all the base at such a higher rate, do you really want it? Do you really want it? That, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there are people out there. I know, I know a couple of my friends, they love base and that's fine. But do you really want it if you got it and then you moved it? You know, like, and I, all I'm saying is maybe what you have needs to be moved more strategically to where people can't control your price. Totally. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think the question of did you really want it? I think for so many it's an education. I think cuz when people come in mm-hmm. they see that oh, he's got the Mitchell, he's got the Tatum, he's got the Luca, he's got the Trey base 10. That since he has it or she has it, that means I need to get it. And so people get caught up in it and they grab these cards and then they look at them and they're like, I don't really care about these cards, but I do care about sports cards. And so then they flip them. And then in a perfect scenario, they start educating themselves on the parallels. They yep. start finding their lanes. And I think those types of case studies are what we want to have to keep happening in the hobby because we want more people to come and not only come, but stay. Well, and that's why I'm saying that there is going to be a need for re-education. There yeah. are PSA 9 numbered prisms of other players, not Luca, that cost less than the PSA 10 base, right? And so all I'm trying to say is, does the card excite you? Because it really comes down to that. And I hear Chris Hodge say this all the time. You know, he's like, he always talks about, are you in, collect what you like? Are you in love with the card? And so I think that if you're not in love with the card, maybe that's a message for you to be like, you got to go get a card that you're in love with. And if you want the added security, you get the security with it. It doesn't have to always be that way, but you can get it. Um, and I started by set building, Brett, which is not good money. I will tell you, <laughs> no. that. not good money at all. Uh, but, but, but I'm sure you did that because you had an appreciation and an affinity for those specific uh, sets. And you're like, all right, I care about this. So I'm just going to go all in because I'm a collector, right? Yeah, you know, you know what it is? It's like, I got to finish this puzzle. And then when I finish the puzzle, you know what's crazy? The craziest thing. 
I finished an amazing set. I remember it was like, it was 2014. And I thought I accomplished what no one had done before, like at least that I've seen. The crazy part is when I showed people what I created at that time, people were like, whatever, right? It's so interesting. It it took forever to (laughs) finish the set. And I was in my own silo. I was in blowout forums chasing people all across the world for this card, uh, for these cards. And then I finish it. And then I was like, okay, I'm done with it. I finished this project. Maybe I'll sell it. So I sold it. And you know, sets don't sell usually well, but that passion project of collecting, coin collecting, I guess, you know, when people were kids and they were trying to get the new quarters with the backs on them, that just like stemmed across. And, you know, I brought this here with me because I'm going to show you this. I'm still set collecting. So this is 2003 Fleer Showcase. I have all but like five of the cards and it's all right here. You know, like all the cards that nobody probably cares. about. <laughs> so people can see what, what I'm talking about. I'll flip the camera around. It's a little messy. You're good. Yeah. Right. Look at that. Wally Zerbiak. Wally. Right? I, remember, I remember the Wally Zerbiak in ESPN, uh, Kevin Garnett cover of the magazine antonio mcdice michael red grant hill right jason williams if michael red did if michael red didn't get hurt man he he was a player oh he was he was a great shooter he was uh yeah andre miller right so listen these cards cost me maybe a dollar a piece, maybe $1.50, but it's just like a thing. I got to finish it now. And so like, I have a few of sets like these that I've been chasing now. And I'll tell you this, I actually only started recollecting these sets in December of last year. And I'll tell you why I got burned out of the same thing that I was doing. And I was telling people, I was like, I can't, like, this is not why I got into this. Like, I got to do, got to go back to having something that I'm, it's a passion project of mine and still going after the rare pieces at the same time. Like, that's why I did what I did. And now I'm chasing some sets that are really hard to complete. And I, I just love that grind. Yeah. And it's like, whatever you're doing right now, like, there's nobody else in the world doing exactly what you're doing. And I think, the uniqueness behind the activity is what makes people's accounts and what they have to say interesting. If it, we were all just collecting the same thing, it'd be a really boring place and we'd probably not learn anything from anyone. Yeah. Well, and that goes back to the base. If you love base, you should collect base. No one is saying not to, but if you are now upset of the price, well, what did you expect? You know, it, it wasn't always going to be like this, but if you're in love with the product, because let's be fair, the Luca Prism base is now an iconic card forever. It will be an iconic card. If you want that, if you want one, I could see myself even down the road, just be like, I think I'm just going to pick up a, a PSA 10 perfect version of that card because it really catapulted us to this next area, age. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, I know this is a topic you wanted to touch on and I want to get to it. It's kind of been a theme of the conversation, but let's just hit it on its head. Uh, you messaged me today and you were like, I want to talk about rarity and how not all cards are created equal. 
So let's talk about it. Like, what what do you mean by that? Like, what can we educate the community on about about that comment? Okay. So here's a couple of things that have been there's I can't control it. So I'm not going to say it bothers me because the consumer wants what the consumer wants, but it's I kind of scratch my head a little bit because I don't know if it's a fact that maybe it's not as important as I thought it was, or they don't know the information. So here's one. There are a lot of amazing rookie cards coming out in basketball right now that are not game used at all. They have the most amazing patches on a player worn, etc. And I think if you had just started out maybe two, three years ago, you probably are not like, I don't know, you're just probably not thinking that that's a thing, maybe you're because you're seeing how how beautiful it looks. And then you want to get the card. And I, I can understand that no one's saying kill all player worn cards. I think my problem, my thought process here is the reason that the on-card autographs and the game used patches, like you would think that they would sell for more, but a lot of times an on-card autograph with a player worn patch sells for higher than, um, you know, the other option. And just because the patch looks better, right? The on-card player worn amazing patch sells better than a similar type of card, which is on-card and a game used, but worse patch. And I just find that really interesting because the whole thing was in 1996, 97, 90, or sorry, 97, 98, when Jordan and Kobe came out with their first, you know, game used cards, that's the history. That's where it kind of went. So now to kind of see it in a different light, I'm wondering maybe we're maybe a year or two away before people start realizing that they want match worn. And uh, it's very big in soccer. I'll tell you why. There are not a lot of match-worn cards in soccer. So a lot of times when I'm on eBay or even if I'm at a show, one of the first things I'm looking at is I'm reading the little fine print on the back, whether it's match-worn. Even before I look at the condition of the card, and I promise you most people will probably look at the condition of the card before that. I'm just addicted to that because my process is, okay, did Messi touch this card? <laughs> yep. Is this an away jersey? Is this a uh, is this a jersey from Argentina? When do you think he could have played in this jersey? I don't know. That's just my thought process. And I'm waiting to see whether maybe it's like a couple years away or it's just my, it's just maybe a forgotten art that won't come back. Yeah, no, and I think we all have those attributes about cards that make up our eBay searches, right? And um, you know, whether it's on card, whether it's serial numbered, whether it's game worn, whether it's player worn. Um, I think we all have different tastes, but I, I agree. Like some of the cards I see going for that is just not, and you don't know, they just put on the Jersey for a photo shoot or whatever. And you see like these NT cards selling for, you know, an astronomical price. It's, I, it's, I scratched my head a little bit, but then I know it's, someone else is paying for it they might not care and they not they might not have a taste for what what i do or not so yeah i think that's asking yourself the question before you buy is always a good one um and i i agree like rarity has uh, just so many different definitions to so many different people i think 
before you go spend the money and you, you purchase it, like ask, at least do some reflection and ask yourself those questions. Oh, definitely ask multiple people. If it's a rare card, even before you purchase it, I promise you someone will help you. The other thing is, you know how we were talking about, I, I, text, I texted you earlier today that not all rare cards are created equal. Okay. So, right. We have a hobby obsession for years now with gold hobby obsession. I'm waiting for diamond. I, I don't know when diamond is going to come out like a one-on-one diamond card, but it's just a diamond color. No, no actual diamond, like flawless or something. I'm just saying, or platinum or something. So this is what I am saying about that. So just because you see a gold card sell for an exorbitant amount does not mean the gold card of Luka Doncic Chronicles gold seven out of 10 is going to be of that similar value. You must understand if the product that you're buying has history, right? And football contenders has so much history. Contenders gold is a big deal. It's a really big deal. And in basketball, I know there's no top scrum, but Prism, top scrum had numbers to out of 50, out of 100 for gold. And Prism has, you know, out of 10. So make sure that just because it's a gold doesn't mean that you need to be fully overpaying an exorbitant amount because you go back around and you want to go sell that Luka Doncic Chronicles gold to somebody at an X-rated price. And be like, this ain't no prism gold, bro. Yeah, Product saying- and lineage matters a lot. I know. I know. Oh man. Well, maybe let's, this has been fun. Let's round it out. Um, I know big topic last week, right? The national it's happening. It seems like I can't go anywhere without if everybody on Instagram is going to be at the national. I'm convinced at this point, everybody's going to be oh, there. I hope so. I know it's going to be fun. Um, which we're all going to have our plans. We're going to be proactive. We're not going to spend a bunch of money on stuff. We don't care about. We're going to be intentional. I think that's a theme of this, but when you like, when you're thinking about the national, like, what what is your what is your main goal? Like what is what is top of mind for you going into that show? So I wouldn't have said this until after I went to Dallas, but I think my main goal is to stand at the PSA line every day. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. Five hundred bucks a card. <laughs> I wish they might start us at a thousand. Who knows? No, actually, this time I'm telling you, I'm going to make it a point to meet as many people as I can. I will. Obviously, it's weird, but I go through the dollar boxes, man. I love the dollar boxes. And that's probably because of my set collecting days. You know, I actually do that. People are like, why the hell do you do this? It's like, I like the hunt, but I will be going through some dollar boxes. I will also, the people that I missed in Dallas this time, I got to go make that relationship because um, for me, I think Dallas is just going to be a huge, just social event. You know, uh, I know people will be buying, people will be selling. I'm very excited about trade night that Car Collector 2 is putting on. I do think that like many people that were in Dallas, at least at least some of the people that I became friends with recently in the last year or two, many of them have never been to a national. I'm hyping it up and I could, I, I could fall flat in my face, but I'm going with this, no pressure on the national, but I'm putting the pressure on it. It's going to be the best hobby event of all time. I'm putting that much pressure on it. And I just have this weird feeling that all these collectors that you have never even seen before, 
they're just going to be like, this is the time, whether that means to buy, whether that means to sell a lot, a lot of their stuff. I just have this weird feeling that this is going to kick off the end of the COVID era. And I think it's going to be a big deal. I, I don't think you'll see many people like I'm not going to another show in 2021. Like this is it. And then I'm going to ride it till 2022. I got, I want to take family vacations that I haven't done in a long time, all that kind of stuff. And uh, truthfully, I'm not really selling a lot when I get there. I'm, I'm really just looking, maybe if I find one card that's iconic that I like, maybe I'll move some stuff around to go get it. Uh, but I'm looking forward to good debauchery, I guess. I, I love it. Uh, and we will hype it up because I have been saying, I have not said this is the kickoff to po the post-pandemic era, but we can say that here. I'm saying that it is going to be a mega event. It is going to be awesome. And I just think people have been waiting for this. People have been at home. Everyone's going. It's going to be fantastic. So if you're not already, be at the National. We're all going to be there. It's going to be a party. Taushik, this is freaking awesome. I had so much fun. Follow this man at the Iron Sheik on IG. We'll have to get you back on, man. I feel like we could have talked for another hour or two. You take care, take it easy, and I'll see you in uh, Chicago. All right, great talking to you. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. I just love the stories, man, and he had a lot of them. I love his mentality when it comes to collecting. There was a lot we covered when I went off there. I'm going to have to get him back on the show. Definitely going to connect in the National. Are you going to the National? If you're not, sign up. Let's go. If you like what I'm doing, hit that subscribe button. Leave me a review. Tell me how I'm doing. Hopefully you enjoy the weekend. Go kick it. Relax. Enjoy family time. Enjoy sports cards. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. And I will be back next week with more Stacking Slabs podcast. Stacking Slabs.